0: On this episode of the Medusa Metacast, Rational Abstinence Impractical. Let's dive in. This episode deals with a concept that I have described as rational abstinence. That isn't to say a rational approach to abstinence, as in not having sex, but rather the fact that Humans seem to find many reasons, both good and bad, to avoid being rational. So, rational abstinence, as in the human proclivity to abstain from being rational. There appears to be a lot of discussion these days about the irrationality of human beings, the extent to which we are driven emotionally. The degree to which we can exercise agency, free of influence or predisposition, and perhaps the most popular form of modern self-flagellation, the primacy of personal experience, in particular when related to immutable characteristics, as if this would be a wise approach or that it makes any sense. These are all potentially interesting and important discussions. In fact, some of them may be among the most important discussions that we can have with ourselves and others. But I take particular issue with two components that seem to bridle these discussions more frequently than is probably helpful, and it can often be dangerous. The first part, the reins, is the presumptuousness of the delivery of these concepts as if their outcomes are to be taken as obvious. The second part, The bit is the complete disassociation of the human animal from our capacity to usefully reason, and how virtually everything important that we value as a species has been, and continues to be, birthed from this capacity. And these aren't even the focus of what I'd like to discuss in length, which would be why it is that we seem to do our best to abstain from engaging in rational discussion in open discourse of a sort that nearly everyone can access and isn't particularly controversial. Even many of those who profess to be demonstrating logic and reason don't seem to be doing a particularly good job of it, and I have a few ideas why this may be the case. It isn't obvious to me that it is more correct to state that humans are predominantly irrational rather than rational. We demonstrate both of these qualities quite readily, and they can even often be found bleeding into one another, whether our irrationality is rational or our rationality is irrational. In some cases, an idea or an action may be so saturated with both that it's impossible to give one more weight than the other, if any of this even makes sense in the first place. We are not one or the other at any given time. We are always both, but we can dress for the occasion based on the type of restaurant. What drives us fundamentally appears to have among the clearest answers on offer in the realm of topics we've been told not to discuss in polite company. But the degree to which we can exercise free will, the value of rationality and irrationality and how they contend, if they do at all, and the relationship between a human mind, his or her experience, and reality, are things that have been wrestled with for centuries. If we're going to speak as if the answers to these have been discovered, and apparently have also become so clearly understood as to become poignant, I would love to hear the details that no one seems to be willing to share. To my mind, the most notorious example of these indiscretions in modern times is the ease with which we have elevated an individual's personal experience as the truest depiction of reality, or perhaps just of their reality. It is nevertheless a version of reality that, despite it being subjective, the demands are to accept it as a reality that others are expected to recognize, even though we aren't permitted to grapple with it in any way. If this is the case, then I had no idea such a breakthrough occurred. One of the oldest philosophical problems with no clear answer for thousands of years was solved, and nobody told me. Not that I'm anyone special, but it made the sentence sound dramatic, and despite what they claim, people love drama. To be clear, the question I'm referring to is, what is reality? This is not an easy question to answer, and it may be impossible to answer in a manner that would meet the demands of any decent-sized group of people. It isn't even obvious what this question is asking. What is meant by reality? and is the word what being used to describe reality as a noun? Or is that just how we formulated a question so that we have a way of introducing the subject matter? Is it a noun? And if it is, what sort of thing is reality? What other things can be compared to it in order to assist us in classifying it so we may actually discuss it? And if it isn't a thing, then what is it? Is it an interface? If so, What is meant by interface? And what does it include or exclude as features of its existence? And how do we know? Is an interface a sort of metaphysical phenomenon? Or is that just a word we're using to describe it to better understand it conceptually? And how can we articulate the difference in a manner that makes sense? Or is it something we interface with, whatever we may mean by that? And if this is the case, do we all interface with the same one? And does this sameness have different versions? Does it change over time? What affects this change, if there are any? And do these changes affect our interaction with it? Or does it interface with us, whereby we are the recipient and it the genesis? Is there a causal relationship? Is it symbiotic? Is it parasitic? Does it matter? And if it doesn't matter, why doesn't it matter? Does the question even make sense? I think it does. But do you? And if not, why don't you think it makes sense? If we disagree, can we still have a discussion about it? Likely, but can we do it without talking past one another? And if at the conclusion we disagree, does that still cause me to be responsible to acquiesce in conscience to your version or interpretation of it and you to mine? And if so, to what extent? And who decides? And who decides the deciders? You may be thinking right now that I've lost my mind. I assure you I haven't, at least not any more than anyone else has. I do enjoy pineapple on pizza, though, so if you are hoping to find a way to dispense with my views, you can use that one. Although, I do love the song Pizza and the accompanying music video by Attila. It cracks me up every time I watch it. So now I'll hear from people. No one thinks like that, Matt. No one thinks about every feature of a sentence or fact or idea ad nauseum. Yes, they do. There are entire schools of philosophy dedicated to figuring out how to parse these things, and many books have been produced with some good attempts at trying to clarify what might be going on in the world, and how it may be organized. However, most people don't do this, and we don't really need to on a day-to-day basis, generally speaking, in order to go about our business. And this brings me to my first point as to why people abstain from rational processes and open discourse. It is inconvenient to the point of impractical. We can't hash out these details in regular discourse, but that doesn't mean you can't allocate some time and do it with a friend and a glass of whiskey. I prefer Irish, personally, but I'll take anything good if you're giving away alcohol. Or you could just never discuss it and live your life perfectly well. However, in the absence of such a discussion, or details you can readily provide that are both clear and convincing, you are not then permitted, at least in a democratic sense, to dictate how others are to understand your subjective interpretation of a complex phenomenon, unless you're five years old. I'd like you to observe some child logic. The first premise of an argument that a child would be making is that I said I want something in a particular way. The second premise is, I am me, the child. Therefore, three, the conclusion is, I get the thing I want in the way that I want it. If your deductions replicate this highly sophisticated approach, then I'm impressed that a child of your age took an interest in my website. Did you hear about it at school in between nap and recess or something? And here I thought, modern curriculums only taught children pseudo-knowledge, designed to turn them into good little consumers that will likely struggle with an anxiety or depressive disorder sometime in the next 10 years, at least if the evidence is any indication. The point here is that you have options in life, and you get to choose to walk a rational path or not, but you can't have it all. If you don't put in the work of dissecting and inspecting ideas, organize them, and articulate them in a way that will withstand a bombardment of scrutiny— then you should expect a rebellion in the situations where you've opted to don the crown. Keep in mind that ideologues often appear to have done this work, and they promote this illusion quite readily to provide themselves with both credibility and esteem. Ideologues haven't done the work. They were doomed to fail from the start. Imprisoned by the parameters of a prescribed and typically exhaustively boring worldview... The work ideologues do has never been done in the pursuit of truth or wisdom. It is only ever done to fill in the gaps of a conclusion that has already been decided. This is a process of justification, not one of deduction or critical thinking, and it's logically fallacious. Machiavelli would be proud. If you're ever wondering what may be classified as complex phenomena, here is a complete list. Everything. That's it. That's the whole list. Nothing is simple, with the exception of the answer to the question, what may be classified as complex phenomenon, which I just did, because I'm all about sharing. Only someone who has never spent the time to examine something closely would dare to describe anything as simple. And this is the first reason why rational abstinence is so prevalent. It is impractical in everyday communication. We have all sorts of logical and linguistic shortcuts that we use to manage our lives, and these are highly valuable for efficiency in communication. But this is not to confuse them with truth, and that's completely fine. The trouble arises when people start to presuppose the truth of these shortcuts, and then insist on their literal interpretations. Something you'll notice only seems to be done when someone is attempting a power play. We are in a position to presuppose the truth of our own interpretation of reality, and we can certainly live our lives within these confines, even though it will likely start to feel like a prison, but we are not permitted to impose it on another. We are permitted to negotiate with others to wholly or partially adopt our interpretation of reality. And that is all. If you're having difficulty doing so, then you should examine your interpretation and determine what the cause of the difficulty might be. In the absence of this, you certainly can't be permitted in good conscience to move forward on a crusade to spread the faith of your unexamined perceptions. That is, unless you're an asshole. You may even feel justified and be largely motivated by good intentions, but that doesn't change the fact that you're really just shitting on everyone. I know, because I've been this person, and sometimes, in our weaker moments, we all are. But that doesn't make it right and it doesn't make us right. There's a difference between righteousness and self-righteousness, and we can often confuse the two when we're drunk off the spoils of our own indignation. Ultimately, we all engage in rational abstinence, but in a democracy, the best of all imperfect systems, if we care to participate in a form of social cohesion or political debate, There should be a positive correlation between the confidence with which we espouse a view and the extent to which it is the product of a set of rigorous rational processes tempered by cooperative opponents. That is how you get the best results. They aren't always good results, but they'll generally be the best of the imperfect solutions on hand. It's almost as if there is an intrinsic relationship between democratic values and vigorous inquiry. Who knew? The offspring of democracy and vigorous inquiry is merit. If you encounter someone that seeks to crush merit in one hand, I suggest you run the other way, because it is likely that they have chains in the other. The impracticality of utilizing rational processes in everyday life is one of the reasons why we abstain from it. This is excellent in the short term and to be productive, but we should take breaks from our abstinence on a regular basis, even for fun to ensure that the software we've adopted to run with every day doesn't contain any malware or viruses. In the next discourse, I will cover the second reason why we engage in rational abstinence, and that is, it causes us to suffer. This episode was an audio recording of one of the discourse that can be found on my website. There are three articles that I have on the concept of rational abstinence, and I will be doing an audio recording of all three of them. The next episode of the podcast um, is undecided right now, but there are a lot of things in the works. Derek is currently away, and uh, we're going to see if we can get a call going while he's on vacation. I'll be releasing some other discourses for my website in order to fill in the episode gaps where maybe we would have otherwise had a scheduled conversation. So hopefully we can get that going soon. That's it for this episode. This is Matt from the Medusa Metacast signing off. Until next time, viciously pursue truth with courage and kindness. Take care of yourselves and one another. Goodbye. (laughs)